0: Hey everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Today, as part of our Town Hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present two Democratic candidates for the state legislature in the 19th legislative district. Join us now for a conversation with Clint Bryson and Marianna Everson, recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, May 12th. Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Indivisible Town Hall. I am Stephen Cox. I host the Washington State Indivisible podcast. Thank you to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Andrzejewski with Indivisible Tacoma. Special thanks to Robin Gittleman for helping us deal with questions tonight. Also, thanks to Sue Rutherford with Lower Columbia Indivisible. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We are so excited to have you here. We are going to be speaking with two tremendous candidates who are running for representative, state representative in the 19th LD, which includes Southwestern Washington from Arizona to Longview. So here is how tonight's discussion is going to go. We will have three opening questions for each candidate. They are designed to help you get to know them a little bit, talk about why they're running, what their plan is to win in November. We will then move on to some general platform questions. These will include a number of your questions. Thank you, by the way, for everybody submitting some tremendous questions for tonight. We only have an hour uh, tonight, so we really want to get to as many questions as possible. And so because of that, we are asking the candidates to please limit their responses to two minutes. Uh, I will be timing things on my end, and I will prompt the candidates when it is time to wrap up their answers by uh, holding up a pen like so. Uh, I will encourage both candidates not to use the full two minutes if they don't need to. Uh, And also, if you don't happen to see the pen, I will just say thank you, and then it will be time to wrap up. Um, I will also stress that even though the candidates are running for the same position, this is not going to be a debate. We are simply looking for each candidate to clarify his or her stances on specific issues. We are asking that there not be point-counterpoint tonight. So uh, again, welcome to everybody who's watching. Uh, We are very much hoping for your participation tonight. We want this town hall to be an opportunity for you to get to know these candidates, to learn about them, to find out where their views may align or diverge with yours and so forth. And so please, as Kat said, use the chat bar for your questions and we will get to as many as possible. And so with that, let's meet our candidates, both of whom are running for representative in position one. Clint Bryson is city councilor for Montesano and is a trustee for pension and health plans for IBEW 76. Hello, Clint.
1: Oh, thanks for having us on this evening.
0: Absolutely. Welcome. And Mariana Everson is a nurse, mother and union member. And hello to you, Mariana.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So let's start with you, Clint. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, some personal achievements, and how you feel that has prepared you for the job of representative.
1: Sure. Before I get started, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us in this forum. It's, it's been tough to get get out and speak with voters, and I hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. So I live in Montesano with my wife, Nancy, and I have three daughters. Two Two are in college. I have a Stepdaughter is a freshman at Montesano High School. I've worked as a union representative for IBW Local 76 since 2008, and this is the same union I served an apprenticeship with, beginning in 1991. And worked as a foreman, general foreman around Grace Harbor and Pacific counties primarily. During my job as a union representative, as you mentioned, I serve as trustees on health and pension plans. Um, primary primary duties would be bargaining. Uh, Grievance processing and member representation. And I also serve as a Montecino City Councilman. So, where I really think those skill sets translate over to a representative type position is the ability to work with those of opposing views. Often I find myself in a room with both sides, you know, two different sides with absolute different interests. But really, we have to get down to the commonality of it all. And so, working together to find solutions is a, is a strength of mine. Um, I've been fighting for good family wage jobs in Southwest Washington my entire life. It's, uh, it's what's near and dear to me, I'm standing up for workers' issues, workers' rights, and serving my community, so that, that's what I bring to the table, and those are my goals.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, Clint. Uh, Mariana Everson, let's give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about your background, maybe some personal achievements, and how you feel that that has prepared you for the job of representative.
2: Well, you made me think about, I wanted to, to thank everyone for being here. I'm so excited to see like so many faces of people that I haven't gotten to see for the last eight weeks. It's really fun to see everybody. Um, I'm really glad that you're all here and that I get to be here too. Um, the As you were um, asking the question, um, I, I thought of a different way to answer that. And how do I think that I am prepared to to uh, represent the people of, of LD19? Well, the reason I feel like um, I needed to run is because I've been in the place that people are in now in LD19. Um, uh, I was renting a house, there was a fire in the house, and uh my dogs um were in the house, my daughters and I were not, and so we were safe and uh then we were homeless for a number of months until um we received some uh, assistance from Section 8, and the people of, of the state helped me get through nursing school. That's when I had just started nursing school. I think that having had that experience and gone through that um, has prepared me massively to understand where people are right now. Because when you're at the bottom, there's nowhere to go but up, uh, but people need to help. And I received that help, and so I feel it's my duty to. Uh, do that for the rest of the people
0: of ld 19 Okay, thank you. Uh, We wanna get kind of a sense of what your priorities would be as a legislator. Uh, And so, Marianna, we'll stick with you on this question. Uh, What would be your day one agenda for the 2021 term in Olympia?
2: Well, I'm wearing this hat. This hat, it represents a a campaign um, started by my friend, Laura, that was Red Berets for Medicare for All. And we've brought those berets into the whole Washington fight for a single payer system for everybody to be covered with um, health insurance, not health insurance, health coverage. Um, Insurance companies are not uh, serving us well. Uh, Even in Grace Harbor, we fight to even have somebody who will cover us for the ACA. Sometimes we don't have one. We have to give special privileges to them to come in. So... As a nurse, as a mom, as a member of this community that sees people struggle and die because they don't have health care, they don't have health insurance, I, day one I will be sponsoring the Whole Washington. Uh, it's now SB 5222. Um, in the Senate, and I will be sponsoring that in the House.
0: Okay. Well, you've definitely uh, touched a nerve with our listeners and viewers because we've gotten more questions about healthcare than pretty much anything else. So we'll definitely be returning to that. Uh, Clint, I'll move over to you and ask you about your priorities a little bit. And what would your day one agenda be for the 2021 term?
1: Sure. Um, the three top priorities I have for the 19th are rural economic development, education, and healthcare. And often when we speak about these things, they get listed as separate items. I, I really see them as being linked um, there. It's essential that we talk about them together. As far as uh, rural economic development, I would like to see us do a better job of being prepared to take opportunities when they come. Uh, we have some amazing ports in the 19th. They should, can, are, and should be economic engines for the, for the district. We're very fortunate to have them. Often, When businesses are looking to locate though, one of the questions that come up is, do we have a ready and available workforce? Do we have the education that's needed to succeed? And that's why I say they're so intricately linked. Um, Education uh, means a lot of different things. It Could be starting with early childhood development all the way up through making sure our schools are properly funded, which is gonna be a challenge coming out of this pandemic. There are some serious budgetary concerns, but we need to look at education as the investment that it is and continue to keep that strong. I'm also a big supporter of programs that, that match up with the needs of the students. I, As I mentioned, I served an electrical apprenticeship. Um, it was a good option for me. College is a good option for a lot of students, but not for everyone. So I'm a big proponent of apprenticeships, of technical training and vocational programs, and trying to match those to the needs of the area to make sure people can stay and thrive when they want to live in the 19th. I was very fortunate to be able to stay and raise my family in Montesano. Not everybody is able to do that. So, and then healthcare is a very broad subject. We could probably talk about all night. Uh, I do, I do strongly believe that everyone needs to have good healthcare. They need to have not only the ability to use it, but enough providers, enough primary care physicians, that we have the network of the infrastructure of healthcare to to serve the citizens. and I'm going Excellent. to
0: wrap it up. All right, cool. Thank you. Well, and then, you know, hold, that, uh, hold that, that, that thought because, as I said, we're definitely going to come back to healthcare care uh, in a big way. In fact, we'll, we'll start in just a moment. But before we do, uh, Mariana, I will ask you, the 19th has elected Democrats in the past, but it has recently been turning purple. So I will ask you, what is your plan to win in the 19th as a Democrat?
2: Well, you know, we we had to change it a, a lot since COVID, but it's still my intention to um, to bring more people into the process. So, only uh, just to round up the numbers, only about forty percent of people in the district are registered to vote, and only about forty thirty nine to forty percent of those are actually voting. So, people are feeling disillusioned with the process as it is. So, what I hope to do is to bring more people in. People who haven't been voting, people who've never voted before, people who think that the Democratic Party doesn't speak for them anymore. Um, I wanna bring those people back into the, the fold and get them voting again. Whether they're you know, red, orange, green, or purple, I think that everybody needs to be voting. And you know what? When more people vote, Democrats win. So that's what we're gonna do.
0: All right, great. Uh, Clint, same question to you. Uh, as a Democrat in the 19th, what's your plan to win?
1: So that's a great question. Uh, first thing I listed on the on the homepage of my website is that I promise to focus on what unites us. And I think that is the key, not only to winning an election, but also to, to actually lead. Uh, when we run for these positions, we're not running to represent Democrats, we're running to represent the district. And so we need to have those conversations. We need to hear what what the people need and engage with the voters. and As you mentioned, it's been very close. It's been very divided. I I am not a fan of division politics. I think we need to focus on those things where we have commonality and, and really enhance that. Thank
0: you. Okay, thank you. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right into some platform questions. And I think it makes perfect sense for us to begin with healthcare because, as I said, the overwhelming majority of questions that we got were about healthcare. And I think that's because the coronavirus pandemic has obviously shown terrible weaknesses in our healthcare system, especially when it comes to employer based insurance. Um, Marianne, as somebody who is an advocate and somebody who works in healthcare, how would you like to get to universal coverage here in Washington?
2: Well, the easy road would be to pass the whole Washington health trust and give everybody the option to get a uh, full coverage, uh, all essential health benefits, everything from ambulance service to, you know, surgery, dental care, mental health care vision, um, for less than they pay now. So people could choose to uh, sign up for a whole Washington and they, um, would pay less than they do now. So I'm paying about five hundred dollars a month for my kids to be covered with health insurance. That children would be free. Like it would be paid for with the the cost of the everything else. It's going to save the state nine billion dollars billion dollars a year in healthcare costs. So yes, that's the easy road, and I think that is the um, the fastest and easiest way to deal with the COVID. Um, pandemic Um, can you imagine if everybody in Washington was just covered they were just covered that's it there's no there's no uh, fight no if you have a job or don't have a job if you if you can keep that job if you can pay your Cobra you know if you qualify for Medicaid when Medicaid doesn't pay for everything anyway so yes we definitely can pass 5222 and cover everybody now
0: Clint, I'm going to put uh, basically the same question to you, but just uh, we'll, I'm just going to let people know, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Clint Bryson and Mariana Everson. They are running for uh, representative in position one in the 19th LD. And uh, yeah, we're talking about healthcare care right now. And, and as I mentioned, Clint, uh, the coronavirus, really, the, the pandemic has really shown huge weaknesses here. And I'm curious to know how you would envision getting to universal coverage.
1: So... I think we can all agree that our citizens need to have health coverage. They need to have good health coverage that they can afford. I tend to be more of an incrementalist as as far as how we get there. The, the budgetary concerns coming out of this pandemic, I'm concerned are gonna really affect public health as it stands today. Just trying to maintain what we have. That being said, I do support a public option. I think that we are, I think we will be more successful in the long term of of building a system that will work for everyone, if we start by bringing in a public option and making sure we cover the most vulnerable who don't have coverage now.
0: Okay, so to be clear, and I think people really want to get a yes or no answer on this, uh, you then do not support a Medicare for All style program?
1: It's not that I don't support the program. I'm concerned that for sustainability, that if we phase it in, I think it would be more likely to be sustainable in the long-term. Um, as happened with the Affordable Health Care Act, the, the politics of that were, were, I don't know how, to, how I want to say that. My belief is that if we could phase it in and we can have a public option, I think that as people see that it works, and are supportive of it. It's more likely to actually be successful.
0: Okay, and uh, Mariana, just so that uh, we have you on the record here, you know, you you of course support the whole Washington plan, but do you also support a Medicare for all? Just yes or no.
2: One hundred
0: percent. Yes, I figured. Okay. just wanted to get that in the record and thank you for that. Okay. I want to talk about rural uh, hospitals in your district because we know that they're struggling. And uh, Mariana, we'll stay with you on this question. How would you work to make sure that they receive the federal reimbursement that they they need right now to keep functioning?
2: Well, I definitely feel like I can can work with our um, federal representatives to make sure that they're doing what they need to do and communicating to them what needs to be done. Um, because I have worked in uh, a rural hospital that is struggling right now. I used to work at Grace Harbor Community Hospital, and I saw firsthand how we struggled and tried to save money on this and that. And oh gosh, don't waste that. You know, definitely firsthand of seeing that. And so I can I think I can bring a unique voice into working with partners at the federal level to make sure that they understand where we're at and how we need to go forward. But I just want to say that fifty-two twenty-two would. Fully fund a hospital, like it goes on a global budget. It's a new way to fund a hospital, but this the is part hospital of whole would be Washington, able to. Just to be clear, part of Whole Washington, yes. Um, a, a global budget. The hospital says, "Okay, we need this much money to pay our workers, run our machines, turn on the lights, buy new sheets, whatever, all the things they need." And the, they negotiate the price for that, and everything gets covered. So, because there's no billing for the people on the whole Washington thing, then they just get a, a full amount for a global budget to take care of patients. And that would save our rural hospitals, all of them, they, if they choose to negotiate with that, within that program.
0: Clint Bryson, same question to you. Uh, what would you do to make sure that rural hospitals in your district get the funding that they need?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question. And as I've had discussions, I've been trying to learn as much as I can about this issue. Um, using Gray's Harper Hospital as an example, um, I think we're I think the figure I heard was forty six percent of the patients are on Medicaid, and the Medicaid reimbursement rate is really what hurts their hurts their budget. It also, as these hospitals struggle and we have customers who are not on Medicaid who have insurance or are paying, you know able to pay their bills, um, if they don't use those facilities, then that hurts their budget even further. It's just a downward spiral. So, I know that the state's been been working to prop up the reimbursement rates um, from a long term perspective. I think we need to get more usage of the hospitals, bring more specialists into the area, and improve the infrastructure. But the Medicaid reimbursement rate is a is a key dynamic, and I'm I'm studying that daily. I'm seeking as much information as I can to become more informed on the issue.
0: Okay. I want to talk about, and this is a listener question, uh, a foster farms processing plant in Kelso had a COVID outbreak. We've been hearing about this at meat processing plants all over the country. I'm wondering, and Clint, we'll stay with you on this question. How would you address this and keep it from spreading in the community?
1: Well, what, regard whatever the industry is, and this is going to become a question all over our communities as we try to enter into these phase reentry and restart programs. In the, the close quarters of these processing plants, it seems that, that we need more testing. Testing and contact tracing is, is key because the, uh, the spread begins before it's even identified and that's, that's a big part of the problem. So the construction industry entered a phase one restart program with enhanced protocols for safety, uh, face coverings, hand wash stations, social distancing—that's going to be pretty universal across our society. But I think that, the, especially in these plants where there's close close quarters and people are working work in close proximity, I think the contact tracing and the testing is going to be key.
0: Okay, Mariana, uh, same question to you: uh, How would you address the outbreak at the uh, the Kelso Foster Farms processing plant, and how would you keep it from spreading through the community?
2: You know. Um now that it's here we're not going to stop it i mean we're going to do everything that we can to keep people safe to do the testing and the contact tracing that we have um that we can but we have to acknowledge we have to acknowledge that as a society we we have had a lot of failures in this response to this pandemic and we must learn from those mistakes that we've made we have to we have to come out of this even stronger and better because we um, if we don't this isn't the last time this is going to happen this is going to happen over and over and this is going to go on for longer than we want to think that it is this is going to keep going on so we need to learn the lessons from the scientists the nurses the doctors um, epidemiologists we need to be strong and um, make sure we're making good decisions including contact tracing and uh, testing, but testing should have been going on in January and it has barely even started now. So um, it's up to us, uh, the people of the, the state, the country to stand up and say, dang it, get, get this together. We need this. This is how we're gonna survive. And we need to be talking to our neighbors who don't agree with us and have deep conversations with them and listen to what they're really, really their pain is. So we have people going to, um, you know, these rallies in Olympia, because they want to go back to work. And I can understand that if they're struggling, and they're hurting, they don't know what to do. Nobody's that they know is clearly leading them in the directions to keep them safe. Then, um, (laughs) then they're going going to do this. They're, they're, They're going to do whatever they think they can to get the attention that they need to um I'm sorry Donna, you are so cute and you are distracting me <laughs> with your zooming in and out. Okay. Yes. So I'll I'll stop there.
0: Okay, terrific. Well, thank you, and uh, I want to shift over to the other thing that I think we got the most questions about, and that is climate, uh, the climate crisis. And you know, the, I think the conversation around the climate crisis has has shifted largely because you know the government has marshaled so much in response to uh, the coronavirus that uh, it maybe uh, makes us begin to sort of question what's possible here. Um, I would love for you, and we'll stay with you, Mariana, to talk specifically about what you would push for as a legislator. I know that you've made very powerful uh, comments on your website. I would love to hear you expand on those a little bit.
2: Well, if we're going, if we're to have um, organized human civilization, we have to do some stuff. We have to make changes. We have to make sacrifices, and we have to change the way we live in some ways. We have already lost. Uh, washaway Beach in our district and we are about to lose to in and LD 24 to the ocean. Okay It's real. It's happening right here in Grace Harbor and Pacific County and we have to understand that We are paying a very human price for this right now We are and we're going to continue to do so if we do not do whatever it we can at whatever cost it is is monetarily we are going to lose even more humans and have more pandemics, just like this one that we're going through right now. So I say we have weave a web of interdependent industries that uh, switch to um, electrified energy for whatever we can. We can power, uh, harness the power of the ocean. We can uh, decarbonize our air with uh, hemp or trees or whatever other plants are, and come up with new technologies that do the same. Uh, right here in our district, those those ports that Clint mentioned, we we could use those to ship anything, wind turbines, solar panels, whatever we can do, to make sure that we switch, change our lives. I, I drive an electric car. I can drive wherever I want in that electric car, and but you know what? We need more charging stations. We need more electric trains. We need um, everything just changed because I have a five-year-old. And I want him to grow up and have children and live the life that he wants to live um, without fighting wars over water.
0: And I will just ask you, because we've had so many questions, asking both candidates to uh, declare yes or no on this. Green New Deal, support it, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Clint, let's move over to you and ask you the same question. And I would love for you to be as specific as possible because you also made very uh, strong statements on your website about the climate. So I would love for you to talk specifically what you would push for as a legislator on this front.
1: Sure and I just I want to clarify my last answer a little bit because you know Green New Deal I think that's going to be an evolving conversation. Um, I think that new and sustainable energy resources need to be our goal. I think it's the equivalent of a you know a moon program to get there but we have to invest in it. We have to start taking those steps and if we can't get everything at once that should not stop us from starting down the road. So. as you mentioned, you know this this pandemic and people are more people are working from home. They're finding new and different ways of doing things. I know that through my conversations, I represent some state employees. Um, the state's taking a really hard look at why why would we go back to doing things exactly like we did them before if this is working. There are those kind of conversations happening all across the state with businesses. So, I think we're learning that we can eliminate unnecessary travel. I think we're learning that we can actually do more with technology. And I think that Washington state should be a leader in our renewable en- energy, whether that's biofuels, um, sustainable sources of power. And you know, to Marianna's point about shipping things out of our port, we should be creating, developing these technologies, employing them, and sharing them with the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And I think that 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 alleviates a lot of the concerns that people tend to have when they push back on like the Green New Deal, for example. We can I think we can we'll find that these these new industries will be will sustain family wage jobs as they should. And they'll, they will be very attractive once we once we actually undertake them.
0: And I will just get a yes or no, because you, you're I, I believe I'm hearing you say that you don't support the Green New Deal as is. And I need to get a yes or no on that.
1: I'm that's not what I'm trying to say, Stephen.
0: No, I'm I, I'm saying because I asked Mariana the exact same question, I will ask you, do you support the Green New Deal? Yes or no?
1: Yes.
0: Okay. All right. Terrific. Uh Julie Angieevsky of Indivisible Tacoma has a question about whether you where you stand on fossil fuel development at the ports.
1: At the ports in general. Yes. Um, so I don't see a lot of new fossil fuel development. Um, so as somebody that's worked in the construction industry and works in the electrical industry, we are not yet in a place where we can lose some of the fossil fuel power sources. We need to be working in that direction, but I think we still, I think people need to recognize we still are using fossil fuels and we will for, for some time. Uh, many of the ports have taken a position that they're not gonna deal in fossil fuels. I know that in Port of Grays Harbor, the residents were opposed to shipping crude oil, for example. So I don't see most ports being in the business of fossil fuel development anyway. I will I will state that I am in favor of the Methanol Project, and I think it does provide a, a benefit to the environment.
0: Okay, terrific. Uh, Marianne, I'll ask you the same question about uh, fossil fuel development at the ports.
2: I do not support any fossil fuel development at the port. We do not have time. We don't have time to uh, to invest in that infrastructure. That's that's a forty-year investment. No, we don't have time. Okay. There's no middle ground for me on this. My my children and your children and everyone's children deserve to have a a future that they can they can have for free of uh, dirty oil and wars over water. No.
0: I want to shift over and talk about jobs, especially insofar as they are related to the climate. Uh, the timber industry has largely disappeared from the 19th. That's left a lot of unemployment. Uh, I wonder what your plan is, Mariana, to replace those jobs.
2: Um, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I'd like to see and uh, be a part of um, building a like a web of interdependent um, micro and small and medium businesses, co-ops. That um, fuel each other, but are not specifically um, dependent on any one thing. So, with the timber industry, we put all of our eggs in one basket, and we can't do that anymore. But we can we can grow hemp, and we can build stuff out of this, and we can um, make um, uh, overhead compartments for Boeing, and we can do things with lumber, and we can you know we can build solar things. We can do a lot of different things and have them be interdependent with each other, like a big web, right? And uh, if one thing fails, they don't all fail. We can't be too big to fail anymore. We have to to grow industries together and build it all up uh, in, in one big web.
0: You've about a minute left. And so I'll just ask you, dovetailing on that, uh, related to lost timber jobs and jobs lost to the pandemic, would you work to develop green jobs in the 19th legislative district?
2: Yes, absolutely. Green jobs are exactly where we need to be going, 100%. Um, that's, that's the fight that we're fighting right now, right, is, is to have a, a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. And what better way than to build a bunch of jobs to pay people a really good wage so they can um, raise their families and um, pay their taxes and fund the schools and, you know, have a good life. People don't have to move away from here to have what they need. So yes, uh, green jobs are the the future of our of our um, district, and we can do it. We already have some of the infrastructure here. Clint
0: Bryson, same question to you regarding the timber the timber industry and replacing those jobs. What is your plan to uh, to replace some of those jobs that have been lost?
1: So I think it's important to recognize we as although we have lost a lot of timber jobs, we still do have a, a fairly solid timber industry and I think we can do more with that. Some of the new products that are out there like cr- cross laminated timber, um, other sustainable uses of wood, including biofuels in some regard for some of the waste wood. I think we should keep, keep promoting that. Our timber industry can be a part of the solution for carbon sequestration. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty important that we continue to grow timber and use it. That being said, I think I mentioned, you know, sustainable industries and energy sources. I think we have a lot of because we have such wonderful ports. I think that the uh, renewable energy market. Bio, I've worked on a, a biofuel, biodiesel facility, for example. Um, doing doing these to replace the fossil fuel sources is, it's a good o- economic opportunity, and it also has a gain for the environment. So I think that should be one of our focuses. I'm also interested in manufacturing. Um, solar panels, wind turbines. I think we should be looking at any of these technologies and see if we can build them here rather than shipping them from overseas. The The maritime shipping industry is, I I, I heard this, I'm, I'm borrowing this from NPR a little bit, but the maritime shipping industry has, would be the sixth largest producer if it were a country of greenhouse gases. There's a tremendous amount of of shipping that goes on you know we don't see them but they're out there and the more we can do here um it's better for our country it's better for our economy and it's better for the environment so i support that
0: we have so many questions that are coming in uh, on this topic and i just want to let listeners know and viewers know that the questions if your question doesn't get answered this evening it will be passed along uh to both candidates uh for them to answer I will ask that there were a couple of questions about a planned methanol plant to be built uh, in Kalama on the Columbia River. There are projected to be both environmental and economic impacts. And uh, the listener would like to know where you stand on that. Clint, we'll start with you.
1: So as I mentioned, I'm supportive of the project. I think that the citizens engaged in the process and did make some, some improvements to the design. Uh, they've committed to zero wastewater emissions, very low emissions from the plant itself. The the studies all demonstrate a net improvement from the processes that are being used now. So, by shifting to this technology as opposed to the coal process, it's a it's a gain for the environment. It's a tremendous economic impact, uh, economic opportunity for the region as well.
0: I will put the same question to you, Mariana, about the methanol plant in in Kalama. Um, As I say, there are projected to be both environmental and economic impacts. Uh, Where do you stand on that?
2: I um, proudly stood on street corners for weeks on end to protest the oil trains coming into Grace Harbor. And um, I cannot ethically or or morally uh, support a project that will... um, Hinder the lives of my children and grandchildren in the future. Yes, it, it does have some, you know, fancy bells and whistles that keep it from having too much of something that's measured by somebody who is in a, in the industry or no, I, I'm not, a, I'm not for the climate. I want those people to have jobs absolutely 100%. Um, and yes. And so let's train them to do some jobs that are needed. There's plenty of jobs that are needed to be done in this place that, that need to be, uh, you know, a living wage. So, yeah, let's unionize those employees that need to be unionized and get them in there with a good wage on other jobs that need done around the district.
0: Let's stay on the subject of economic development. We had a number of questions about broadband access in rural parts of the 19th. Marianna, we'll stay with you. How would you work to bring it to all residents?
2: Um, Well, you know, I read an article just yesterday um, our local new, news radio station had that the uh, Grace Harbor PUD had put these hot spots for Wi-Fi for in rural areas So people could drive up to the library or the City Hall or whatever and use the Internet um, I would support I do support a municipal broadband program where the PUD supplies the Internet because it has fiber-optic Internet at its disposal as it is And maybe um, small uh, local businesses administer that. Like you go into the, you know, five and dime store and pay your bill. Uh, They do this in Grant County, Washington. There's no reason why we can't make sure that it happens in our rural areas. Everybody deserves to have good, high-quality Internet so they can, well, right now, so we can teach our children. They can't go to school. um, So they're learning online. I'm, I'm wondering about all the kids who live all across our district that don't have Internet. How are they learning right now? It's, it's difficult and um, almost impossible. So um, I, I believe in municipal internet, and we can do it right now.
0: Clint, same question to you: uh, broadband access in the in rural parts of the 19th. How would you bring it to uh, rural residents?
1: That's that's a great question. I think broadband internet access is key, as as was mentioned. You know, our, our children are trying to finish up their schooling. Many are unable to do that. So. Just on a on an equity standpoint for education, I think that we need to make sure we have broadband internet available. It's also that's that's also a major economic development component to allow people to have small businesses in rural areas. To just from a safety standpoint as well. So the the how to part, I think. Um, I think the main reason we don't have it already is because some of the big providers have decided it's not worth their money to invest in the best in the infrastructure. And when we arrived at those cases, I think that our PUDs are a really good option for for distributing that throughout the rural areas.
0: Let's stay on education for just a moment. Uh, Education funding has been a a real challenge throughout Washington. Uh, The McCleary ruling only really met the bare minimum. How would you increase funding for our state education? Clint, we'll stay with you on that question.
1: Well, the that's a that's a good question, and I don't know all the specifics of how we come up with the funding, but I do know that we have to prioritize it. the The school districts are struggling. the The McCleary fix was kind of a short term band aid. Um, many school districts are struggling to pass bonds, and I think we just we need to make it a priority in the general budget. We in the general fund, we just need to say this is what we're going to do, and and make sure that we fund it levels that are proper.
0: Same question to you, uh, Mariana. How would you like to see uh, education funded in Washington?
2: Right now, um, we rely too much on the bond and levy local um, taxes to pay for our um, kids' education. So districts like ours, where uh, property values are not as high as in the Seattle-Tacoma area, um, our kids get pay for that in their real-life human human experience so we definitely have to have a full fix for the mcclary decision this was like clint said it was he said it was a band-aid up you know you know me you've gotten to know me the last few minutes um i say it was failure of our system to to our kids so um we need to fully fund our basic education all of it uh, include everything in the in the fund of basic education not just the uh, using the prototypical model and all of that, we need to, to just fund the schools equitably. So if that means that property taxes are still used and it's all put into one big pot in Seattle and Tacoma pay into the same fund and we, we split that equitably above around the schools in our um, entire state, then that's what that means. But our kids in rural districts deserve the best education just as kids in Seattle and Tacoma.
0: I do want to ask about uh, our tax structure uh, in just a moment, but we had a question come from Jay Sears, and it is related to education. He says, schools like Battleground are refusing to teach sex education. How will the new uh, comprehensive sex ed bill ensure that every child is educated on this important topic, and what penalties should there be for districts that don't comply? This is uh, particularly salient because Jim Walsh, uh, the GOP representative, was very vocal uh, against uh, the sex education bill, so uh, to, to uh, we'll stay with you on that, uh, Mariana. How would you ensure that every child is educated on this, and, and should there be penalties uh, for districts that don't comply?
2: Well, I'm going to have to to read into the 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 bill a little bit more specifics into the like penalties and that sort of thing, because I I'm sorry I don't have the research in front of me for that. But I just want to say that uh, Jim Walsh uses stuff like this to divide people up. And I work every day as hard as I can to bring people together. So um, he, he can work as hard as he can for his um, his donors as much as he wants, because I'm going to be working for the people of LD19 because I don't take any of that gross corporate cash. So um, I think that we need to I need to look into that a little bit more, and I absolutely will if anybody wants to connect with me um, via email uh, at InfoMarianaForThePeople.com. I'll. I will read that and find out. But definitely, if it's a law that kids learn about their bodies so they can protect themselves from predators, then we need to be doing it.
0: Uh, Clint Bryson, uh, same basic question to you from Jay Sears. Um, how will you ensure that the new sex ed bill, that school uh, schools and school districts are compliant with it?
1: So I, I don't know exactly what the proper penalties would be if they don't. They don't comply. I think, but I will tell you that I think it's very important that we have comprehensive sex ed. I understand that much of this makes people uncomfortable to discuss. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a father, three daughters. I get it. There's things that we're concerned about. Sometimes these conversations are hard. And so the opponents that I've seen have said that this should be taught in the home. And ideally, that's great, but it does not happen in all cases. In many cases, the kids that need it the most are not getting any, any guidance. So I support fact-based information, age-appropriate fact-based information. And I think that you know parents always have the opportunity to opt out if they choose not to, to have their kids participate. But I think it's important that school districts do have appropriate education available.
0: Okay, I would like to shift over and talk about Washington's tax structure, particularly as it relates to funding a lot of the things that we've talked about. As we know, Washington has the most regressive tax structure in the nation. Uh, Clint, how would you work to make it fairer and more equitable?
1: There's a lot about the tax structure that that I still have to learn about. I'll I'll be the first one to admit that. And that's part of the problem, is that there's so many loopholes, and there's so many ways that people get out of paying their fair share. So I think the the first start is to make sure that that we aren't granting unnecessary tax relief. That when there's promised benefits, if there's jobs that are to be created or community benefits, that those need to happen. We can't just be giving out tax credits and tax breaks without receiving benefits for the public, because the public finances the infrastructure that businesses use. You know, the, our our highways are just our our infrastructure in general. So I think we need to make sure that we're all paying, you know, most of us don't mind paying our fair share of taxes if we get good things in return and we have a good, good benefit for communities. So I would start with, I would start with closing some of these unnecessary loopholes.
0: Would you support a capital gains tax?
1: I, I am not in theory. Um, I'm willing to discuss it, but I I can't really give you an answer that's accurate because that's capital gains tax is not something I'm very familiar with. I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. Uh, we will shift over to you, Mariana, uh, and the same same basic question about our regressive tax structure. Uh, how would you fight and work to make it fairer and more equitable as a legislator?
2: Sure. Um, two of three richest people in the world live in Washington State and pay less as a percentage of their income to taxes than I do than uh, the homeless guy on the street does, because we have a sales tax um, and instead of an income tax or a wealth tax or a capital gains tax, um, I pay more taxes as a percent of my income than Bill Gates, than Jeff Bezos. And I think that's totally upside down wrong. So yes, wealth tax, capital gains tax, whatever you want to call it. Um, I would do away with the sales tax, except for maybe luxury items, maybe, um, and do a progressive income tax. Strong, unapologetically, yes, we need to switch our upside down tax system right side up.
0: A progressive uh, income tax uh, and a wealth tax might get a court challenge. Uh, How would you see your way through something like that?
2: then we just keep fighting until we make it happen because that's the right thing to do. Not because it's easy, because it's the right thing to do. People of Washington have spoken loud and clear. In 2018, you know, that in our district, people rejected anything that had to do with changing these taxes or upping taxes or anything to do with paying any kind of one penny more in taxes. Um, they need to understand that they're paying more than Jeff Bezos. As a percentage of their income and they deserve to pay less and and the people that can afford it they can afford it make them pay it we'll fight it all the way
0: you addressed homelessness briefly and i wanted to get into that because i know that you both have things to say on the matter Uh, one in 16 people is homeless in the city of aberdeen and the city may be forced to shut down their only sanctioned homeless encampment Uh, Marianne, let's stay with you to start how would you work to secure the funding that they need to keep going
2: well, uh, the way I see it is that um, if the private sector is not willing to provide affordable housing for people, then it's up to the public sector to do it. So I would um, find a way with a wealth tax or progressive income tax to get to to increase the revenue into the state so that we can build housing for people. That because you know what? When people have a safe place to lay, they fix the, the problems that got them in the homeless situation in the first place. I know people who have uh, many people at the camp who went to treatment, got a job, got some work boots, um, went back to work and got a place. And uh, my friend April drove people to that treatment center. And she, she's the mama at that camp. She takes care of people there. And I do anything I can to help people. That's what I do. I'm a nurse, take care of people. So, yes, we'll we'll make make the funding. We will invest in ourselves because that's how you get out of a recession. That we're into a recession, you know. Let's not let's not fool ourselves. We're gonna be in a depression if we, you know, open our eyes a little bit. We don't get out of that by uh by austerity. You don't get out of a air re- recession by a You get out of it by investing in the people. And that is one way we can do it. We get these people up out of their, their depression or addiction or whatever that's put them there and get them feeling better and contributing to the rest of, of our uh, communities.
0: Clint, I'll, I'll put the same question to you. I'll make it a little bit more general. Uh, how would you work to address the homelessness crisis in the 19th legislative district?
1: Well, for starters, I think the homelessness crisis is larger than any one district or one any one city can deal with by their self, by the on their own. Um, I think the state really needs to take the lead. I think that that we can get a lot more effective use of our resources if we have experts that are actually making sure that monies are spent the best way they can. And to to Marianna's point, we have to invest in these things. We have to make it a priority. And it's not just one solution because they're all individuals. People who find themselves in homeless situation are not—they're not all for the same reason. And so, we have to have you know enough enough beds and treatment centers, enough mental health care, just plain affordable housing options, and some programs to help people get back on their feet with jobs. There's doing nothing we're doing the same thing. What we're doing now is not working for far too long. It's just, it's slipping downhill. It's getting worse. And I think it's, I think it's high time that we, we make the investment and not only does it, you know, first and foremost, it's the human element. It helps the people that are, that are in this situation that are suffering. But when you invest these kind of monies and solutions, if you're successful it actually in the long run, it's money well spent. It's not going to It's not gonna, it's not gonna be lost. It's gonna be, you know, people's lives regained and better situation for the cities. So I think it has to happen. And I think people are, I think people are ready for that.
0: We are running short on time. We have just about five minutes left, and uh, I will ask you just a a couple final questions, and these are our listener questions. This is a very general one, but uh, knowing that there are many working families within the district, uh, a listener asked, why should working families support you? Uh, Clint, we'll put that to you.
1: So why should working families support me? I, you know, I think probably most people on this on this video tonight are are working families. I think we all, I've dedicated my life's work to standing up for working class people, working families, trying to make sure people have have family wage, jobs, good benefits, that they have dignity in the workplace, that they're treated with equity and, and justice. And I'm not gonna stop doing that. You know, I'm doing that as union representative now, I wanna put those skills that I've learned and that passion I have for working people I want to take that to Olympia and and fight for working families of the nineteenth.
0: And I will put the same question to you Mariana, why should working families support you?
2: Um, I think working families should um, understand that by supporting me they they are working for themselves they're they're doing things for all of us. I, I'm not about me I'm I'm about all of us and uh, I think all to, all of us together can make a, a a way better decisions on what could happen in our district so um i'm running this campaign as as um as a way to get us for us to get to know each other all of us to get to know each other uh, to bring people together under uh, one big umbrella of um uh, of the issues because when we talk to our neighbors no matter who they voted for for president uh, Um, We talk about the issues. We agree on a whole lot. And so I believe that um, uh, as a working class person, um, I I can uh, be one of the bridges that brings people together. And so um, I I want to empower people to make the choices and decisions that are best for them uh, because I trust people. And uh, I think that if uh, I bring that attitude and that, nurse in me to people a uh, mental health nurse so i listen to people's problems all day long um if i bring that into this campaign i think that people will understand that um you know it's not me it's us
0: one last listener question uh, a listener asks if you will each pledge to endorse the other if only one of you goes forward uh mariana sure Yes. Okay, Clint, okay. That was that was painless. All right. Uh and then uh one since you answered so quickly, I'll just ask you um how you're financing your campaigns. Uh are you accepting corporate contributions? Mariana, you you said no. And so how are you financing your campaign? We'll start with you.
2: Uh we're 100% grassroots funded. I've not taken any any uh PAC donations or any anything else. I, I think the highest donation was uh, a very good friend of mine donated five hundred dollars to get me started, and uh, I loaned the campaign thirteen hundred bucks out of my tax return, and we have survived. We've gotten where we needed to go, bought the things we needed to buy. We got signs out in the district now. There's one back there, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, postcards and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we're, we're doing it. You know, average. Donation of uh, thirty-eight
0: dollars. I think that's what it is. Okay, uh, Clint. I will ask you: Are you accepting corporate contributions? And and if not, how are you financing your campaign?
2: Well, I
1: haven't received any corporate contributions. And when I'm asked that question, I, I really don't think I'm the type of candidate that's likely to have corporations knocking on my door as as the union guy, the union rep. Um, so we're doing real well on on fundraising. Um, the bulk of our contributions have have come from individuals and several labor organizations. We've been endorsed by over 20 labor organizations so far, and I've received contributions from 92 individuals. So that's that's how I've been funding that.
0: All right, terrific. Well, I'm just gonna give you both uh, one minute to uh, make some closing remarks. Uh, tell us where people can learn more about your campaign, what specific needs you might have. Quint, uh, we'll start with you.
1: Sure, thank you. So my, uh, I'd like to invite everybody who would like to learn more about the campaign or to join our team to visit the website. It's electclintbryson.com. We're working on getting policy positions posted um, as we have more conversations in the community and can address specific questions that come up. Um, We're currently doing voter outreach. Um, You know, as, as we all know, campaign season has changed drastically from an any way it's ever looked in the past. And I very much appreciate having this forum available to us tonight. I think it's essential that we continue to get the message out to the voters. Uh, We started phone banking last week. So you may get a call from our campaign. I have several volunteers signed up for phone banking. So as I mentioned, electclintbryson.com. You can get in touch with me there. You can visit our Facebook page at electclintbryson. And I hope everyone stays safe and is doing well. Thank you.
0: Clint Bryson, thank you so much. And uh, Mariana, you'll get the last word tonight. Uh, just uh, one minute to tell uh, people uh, about your where people can find more information uh, for your campaign and what specific needs you might have.
2: All right. Well, um, we also have a website, mariannaforthepeople.com. Uh, you can sign up to volunteer there. Be on our email list. You could donate. You We have a a, a campaign shop on there we just got up yesterday with some t-shirts and buttons the unique way to donate you can get it get something in return um, we have started a, a new um, what are we calling it Julie oh Mariana for the people with the people um, virtual meetups so you can um, go on our Facebook page or you can email me at info for mariana for the I'll send you the link we have a little form you fill out you Say who you're going to bring, what we're going to talk about, and then we schedule a meeting. You can talk with me um, over Zoom like this, and you can have me for a half hour to an hour, whatever you need, and we'll just talk about what you need. So email me at info for um, at marianaforthepeople.com and we'll get that started. And if you'd like to volunteer, we have postcards. We're asking, we have uh, five volunteers filling out postcards. They're writing personal messages on the back for the postcard and we're mailing it out to people across the district.
0: Thank you again to both of our candidates, Clint Bryson and Mariana Eberson. Thanks again to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Onziewski with Indivisible Tacoma. And special thanks to Robin Gittleman for fielding viewer questions. A reminder to join us on Tuesday, May 19th for a conversation with Commissioner of Public Lands Hillary Franz, who is running for reelection. And that is it for today. Our website is IndivisiblePodcast.org, and our email address is IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell, and as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.